Welcome to episode 178 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco, and thanks for joining us on the podcast, where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers and find out how they got into the industry, as well as getting as many hints and tips from them as possible. And we've got a great back catalogue of guests, including last week, uh, someone that's very good friends with this week's guest, as we found yeah. out when we were recording this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This week we are chatting with the wonderful Ian Moore, who is a we well, said a kind of variety um, of 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 jobs. Started off as a stand up. Uh, I think, he, as he says, he actually writes standing up. Which yeah, is quite which was interesting. interesting yeah. Um, he then moved into the world of TV and radio work. He's done a lot of stuff on. He's written comedy memoirs. He's now d- moved into the cozy crime genre, and now he's got a dark crime thriller coming out. So it's quite yeah. interesting. Yeah, and as we'll hear on the on the podcast, he's he's sort of ended up exactly where. He wished he would be living in sort of rural France. Uh, Where well, a lot of us wished they were. Yeah, honest. exactly. Writing writing books, which is what his 18-year-old self wished wished for himself. So, yeah, um, I suppose he's, he's achieved what many of us living, can. Living the dream. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, no, it, it's a great episode. And, yeah, the, he, he is, as I mentioned there, he, he's, uh, he, he mentions that he's very good friends with Cueve McDonnell, who... Uh, was our guest last week as well so do listen to that episode if you haven't already and um, but we'll get straight into this one after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest but for now on with the podcast the blank page to some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head so how to overcome that fear Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. I always start the podcast with the question, did you always want to be a writer? Because... 
and with you, I, I don't know if that was the case because you obviously moved into comedy as well, but did you always have that ambition to write ultimately? Yeah, I think so. I, I think, I mean, when I was, my first ambition was I wanted to be um, a writer, director, a film writer, director. Okay. I wanted to be Woody Allen, basically. <laughs> um, but not the whole way, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that kind of writer director <laughs> ambition um and from there i was i was trying to write stand up for other people and it just it just didn't work it just didn't in the end you end up going through so many different people that whatever the joke was to start with has been completely filtered and watered down and mm-hmm. and it just seemed you know a rigmarole to try and do that so i went to see a comedy show with a friend and and basically, we came out of this comedy show, and she said, "What did you think of that?" And I'd never been to live stand up before. Mm-hmm. She said, "What did you think of that?" And I was a typical, typical bloke in his mid twenties. Just went, "Gee, I could do that." Um, <laughs> and she rang me up about a month later and said, "All right, then put your money where your mouth is." And it was a case of um, literally being thrown in to do stand up because I wanted to write in a sense I, that was my one outlet for it that I could certainly at that point that I had um the thing then is that if you're going to do stand up as with almost everything it um it's all encompassing you you can't sort of just play at it mm-hmm. so stand up took control it, it kind of it was it was my full-time job and all my writing energies went onto that you know, um, there, there wasn't, it just felt like there was no, because I wasn't a, a natural, I wouldn't have classed myself as a natural performer, so I had to kind of work harder at all the aspects of it, not just the writing. Yeah. Um, so it, it just went from there, you know, and, and when I wrote, uh, we moved to France nearly 20 years ago, and after about eight years here, I finally... Um, caved in and uh, and did that thing I said I would never do which is English bloke moves abroad and writes about his family <laughs> which is exactly what I did I desperately hawking my family around um and so, and so those, those it, it, it came from there and the longer I was doing stand up the more traveling I was doing and being away from home the more I wanted to be at home and that that outlet was always going to be Hopefully, the, the the hope was that it would always be writing mm-hmm. books, certainly. And and when you're doing stand up, or when you were doing stand up, was it something that you you said you're not by nature a natural performer? Did you have to craft the the jokes, writing them down, and things like that, or or is it something that you instinctively do once you're actually up there? I think well, there's there's a there's a two step process to that. Is that I became good at the performing. The more you do it, the you know you can learn the tricks um, of performance. But also by that point as well, I developed a way of writing stand up, which was literally to stand up. I would write standing up. I've got this kind of gabled office that I'm in now, and it's got chalkboards on the side. So I would I would write and walk at the same time as if I was on stage so that you'd have the rhythm of the material would develop a lot quicker than if I wrote something and then had to go and perform it. 
Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, yeah, it was, you know, literally, I'm, I write stand up, so I'm standing up. It was, it, was, it seems as obvious as that. Um, but I think one of the things I noticed was um, during lockdown when we were, we were doing um, comedy on Zoom, which, you know, apart from the fact that I didn't have to travel, was, was a fairly dreadful idea. Um, but I noticed that a lot of stand ups were, in fact, all the stand-ups were, were were sitting down, which is and still doing the same material. Yeah. But it didn't have the, it didn't look right. Mm-hmm. So I always stood up, and so, and that's how I write as well. Mm-hmm. And and I've always wondered when it comes to stand-up, as you know, as, as opposed to writing novels, which we'll get to in, uh, shortly. But but when you're writing your stand-up material, you know, how do you test that? Do you, do do you, do you, how do you know if it's working or in edits? Because do you test on a small group and you think, oh, I'm not getting many laughs? I need to tweet this no, you, it right. it's it's really just a case of going on stage, and that's right. the only that's the only test you have. Um, there is no, there is no other way of doing it. That you know you have to you have just have to run it out on stage. There's a general rule that if you've done something three times and it hasn't worked, it's never going to work. That okay. that's that's the kind of thing that stand ups look at. You know, well, mm. I've given it three goes; it's not going. Another rule I always had was that if um, if I couldn't remember the material, then it was not good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, in my own head, I was sort of subconsciously telling myself that this just isn't good enough because my my brain isn't picking it up at all. Yeah. But apart from just road testing it in front of. 400 drunks in Manchester on a midnight on a Saturday night that really is no alternative. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, almost... get, you get immediate feedback at least there. You yeah. certainly do. I mean, and that was the thing I found um, uh, quite hard to adjust to with um, with publishing is that obviously, like you say, I'm, I'm used to getting feedback within 0.4 of a second. It's either, it's either thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah. Whereas you're waiting in in publishing, you're waiting for months. Yeah. Uh, that was a really difficult thing to to try and cope with. I mean, and and so I'm assuming did all this all this give you this taste for writing? You know, this this the, the process, etc. You wanted to move into in, into fiction writing. Did, what was it that you started off wanting to go into film, and then you kind of went to stand up, and then at what point do you think actually fiction writing is where I'd like to go into? I I think. When I realised that I'd had enough um, travelling um, okay. and enough, uh, I didn't see myself as being patient enough to to go through the collaborative process of filmmaking. Um, okay. So it, it was really just a decision how I have these certain set of skills, how can I not have to go out <laughs> so, <laughs> how, can, how can I transfer these skills into some kind of money making exercise without ever leaving my house? Um, it, basically, it does boil down to that. I mean, I, I had ideas that I wanted to do, but it, a lot of it was I just don't, please just don't put me on another plane. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually flying to Vienna tomorrow to host the World Theme Park Awards, and I just oh, don't want to wow. go. I just do not want to Sorry go. to hear that. <laughs> Um, and am I right in saying that before you got to uh, Death and Quasms, which we'll, we'll get to shortly, but you'd written a, a darker novel, a darker thriller first? Is that 
Is that right? Well, that's the one that's coming out um, in October. I okay. I self published um, when it was certainly before I started writing the the Death and Croissant series. I self published it because I'd seen uh, a very good friend of mine, Queeve McDonald, C.K. Mm-hmm. McDonald, who mm-hmm. is um, something of a self publishing phenomenon. Yeah. Um, and I'd seen him be very successful with it, and I hadn't got anywhere with publishers. So I've self-published mine and didn't realise, Cueve failed to tell me, uh, he's a very good mate, but he failed to tell me that you have to spend as much effort in marketing yeah. as you do in the writing. And the writing's almost, you know, not not the most important part. So I withdrew it from sale after a few weeks because I just, I can't be doing with this. I just can't be doing with this. Um, and then just, that was when I came up with the idea of doing the, the cosy comedy stuff. I thought I wanted to to write a book that I wanted to read. And it was, it was kind of, um, I hadn't got anywhere with, with the serious crime or the darker crime, um, the, the memoir, family memoir stuff was fun to do but you know i'd got to the point where i was trying to trying to shove my family into situations so it would make good written anecdotes um which is not the idea at all um so yeah that that, and that's i I, literally the idea was what would i want to read now and and at that time this was 2019 Mm -hmm. 2019 yeah it would have been early 2019 I I just thought, well, I'm, I write comedy. I write good comedy. I'm living in the Loire Valley. I've just opened a, um, a B&B, a posh B&B, which is all the stuff that the main character, Richard, does. And the idea of having the B&B as a centre of um, a kind of cosy comedy was, <laughs> do you know what, partly it was because I hated running the B&B and the, rather than actually physically murder my guests, <laughs> I... I had to, did it in a literary fashion. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, with that one, then with death and, death and Quasons, how did you was did you find it easier then to get a publisher to get an agent and 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 get picked up with that? Then? I I did. I, I was very lucky. Um, I, I sent out a raft of um, uh, you know synopsis and and covering mm. letters. And whatnot, and my agent Bill Goodall got back to me pretty pretty sharply actually. And this, but then, is this two thousand? Trying to think what year it was. It just everything's just a yeah, a, just a blur for for a few years. But then he got back to me very quickly, and there was there were connections with the publishing company that um, Summers, not Summersdale, it's um, Farago who published Death and Croissant. One of their in-house editors, I also knew from the time that I'd published the memoirs, so there was a connection there as well. And it just, I just got, you know, incredibly lucky, and things started happening fairly quickly. Um, and 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 signed to signed to initially to a three-book deal, and then signed pretty quickly, sharply after that, another three-book deal on top. So. You know, really, it just one of those things where it seems when you kind of um, articulate it like that, it seems like, well, this is easy. This is, I just yeah. stepped straight into this. And when in actual fact, you know, this has been, 
this has been 30 years in the making you know yeah, it, right. yeah. it, it, it just it feels like everything was right at that time but it has been you know yeah. a long long time coming but that's I mean, partly my own laziness really <laughs> but i mean there has been had been very successful and as you say you've you've gotten multiple book deals you've written a couple of like a shorter story as well um you know how I guess I was just want to ask, how do you find writing a series like that? Is it, you know, compared to writing your previous work and your stand-up, is it is it something you enjoy, that kind of being able to have two, three, four books to dive into a character, that kind of tie It is. It is really enjoyable. I, I think the with the first one, with Death and Croissant, I spent a long time um, developing the main characters and, and the kind of cast of characters. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with the subsequent ones, it's been more plot because the characters were largely established. Yeah. I mean, you have got the characters do change slightly as as they have to do, as we all do. So fictional characters are no different from us. They they still have to grow and change and and, and adapt. Um, but I I really enjoy coming up with ideas for that because it, it can be with with a with a cozy comedy you can you can really just sort of let yourself just that's the phrase I use with with this I just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks after a while um because there are there's just you know some of these things that happen are, are quite absurd and very knockabout but they're great fun to to create and the, the as as you've said they're the categorized in this in this genre of cozy comedy cozy crime type stories which are very um in vogue at the moment i mean what does that categorization mean to you how you know when people talk about that what what do you think i'm becoming less clear on what cozy comedy (laughs) is and stands for the more i have a conversation somebody um, flagged up an article for me um, this weekend it was written on the 22nd of the bbc uh, I don't know if you've seen it, but they, they talk about the phenomena of cosy crime um, as if as if it hasn't been around for, <laughs> yeah. for about seventy years. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's and and then the other people were saying oh, it's it's. I think there was a, there was a, a commentator who said it was all twee and insipid. And do you know? I I don't know. I don't know where the rules of cosy crime come because you have you have Janice Hallett. Who is classed as cozy crime, and they're yeah. not. That, that, for me, yeah. they're not cozy crime. No, I they are. Class them as... Yeah, and yeah, but she is being classed as cozy. You see, and and she, I mean, her books are phenomenal. They're so clever. Yeah. Um, I'm a real, I'm a real fanboy for Janice Hallett. She's fantastic. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you have talking cats solving cases. Well, that's very different to you know the Alperton Angels, and yeah. yet it's all. Classed apparently in this in this this catchable term of cozy, and, and the marketing is all kind of similar, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of the same. Yeah. Like the, the look of the front covers are obviously kind yeah. of like they're, they're in that definitely in that same marketing sphere of absolutely. Of and I, I I think people have kind of you know rather than actually read the books and giving them a genre, they're just looking at the covers and going, <laughs> well, that must be that. Totally, um, yeah, I think that's right. I I had I did um. Uh, like a book fair here in France where they asked me to do a lecture on what constituted cosy comedy. 
and I just I made it up, frankly. <laughs> I'm not sure. What, I'm not sure what the rules are. I said, you know, the the murders take place off screen, as it were. You don't see any gore or violence or, or forensic mm. detail. Mm-hmm. Um, they're generally amateur sleuths. Um, and then I, I said to this this French audience, I said, also, there's no there's no sex. And that's and that's when they that's when that's when they all went ah so it's English so it's, there's a, there's a, so I don't I don't know what labels you can give it but everybody seems to have different ways of looking at it yeah and and so it, your new book though as as you alluded to earlier is is a darker one the man who didn't burn um, yeah. and I, I didn't realize this was the one that you had you had previously um, self published so I mean before we get well, before we talk about that, do you want to tell us a bit about what it's about? Yeah, uh, it's called The Man Who, Who Didn't Burn, and it's um, it's still set in France. It's um, I'll give you the main character is a, is a man called uh, Mathieu Lombard, and he's a juge d'instruction, so he's an investigating magistrate. The French system is very different from the English system. In a, an investigating magistrate is a judge, who controls the police investigation. He's basically in charge of the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is his role in this. Um, and normally they're kind of, uh, in culture, they've been kind of stuffy figures, a bit aloof and, and always behind their desks rather than rather than getting in the way of the police. I wanted somebody who wanted to get in the way of the police. I wanted a real hands-on kind of character that would be different from the role that he that he's supposed to have. And the other thing is he's half English and half French. So when there's a murder of a, an English expat, retired English expat teacher in a in a local village, he's called on to investigate. But because he's half English and half French, the English don't trust him because he's partly French and the French don't trust him because he's partly English. Mm-hmm. So there's that where the comedy came from in the cosy stuff was a, was the the stereotypes of, of very English Richard playing against a very French Valerie mm-hmm. where Matthew Lombard has, he has that conflict, but it's internal. He doesn't, he doesn't really know who he is. So he's kind of, he's kind of trying to find, trying to work out that really, as well as solve this case. And, and he's just, um, he's a bit, a big crossroads in his life because his wife has just died as well. So he's, He's literally finding himself as well as trying to find the killer mm. as well. And and did it change a lot between the version you self-published to this version of it? Right? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's better. <laughs> it's, it's, had, uh, it's had a lot of um, surgery um, mm. to, to, to just to make it flow better. And I'm... Uh, I'm a better writer now than I was six years ago, so there's been there's been quite a few changes. Characters dropped, um, just to give it um, a little bit more pace. I don't, I don't, I I really like the idea of um, European um, police fiction because it is at a slower pace. Europe mm-hmm. is at a slower pace. It's just it's just how mm-hmm. they work. I mean, if you look at Aurelio Zen, um, yeah. if you look at um, Commissario Brunetti, Donna, Donna Leon's, yeah. uh, and the Fred Varga novels, which are just mm-hmm. fantastic. It, it is at a different pace, and I wanted to, I wanted to keep that slower pace. Of, I mean, we're in rural France, so you know nobody runs around. Yeah, unless they run out of cheese. <laughs> and and was it you know what was it that made you want to 
or, 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 or made you think this actually this book although I tried with it prior at the very start there's something here this is the one I want to go back to give it a second shot I was always really fascinated with the idea of um, an investigator who's very different to what we know of investigators in in the UK and I, th- I still believe that there was something there um, so I basically showed it to to bill my agent and and he said well we could definitely do something with this you know it needs work but do it you know Mm -hmm. and that's and that's where it came from again i think because because of the success of the the cozies people were willing to take um a gamble on me because i have something now of a following so well we'll see we'll see see if i do or not Uh, (laughs) well i I was actually going to ask about that because like you know from from other authors that we've had on there's often it seems a pressure from a publisher to say um you're known in this field this is what people read you for and they're reluctant to let you go off and change change tack essentially so i mean did you have any any difficulty with that sort of thing? No, not at all. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. Because the, the new one, The Man Who Didn't Burn, is published by Duckworth. And Farrago, who published The Cozies, are an imprint of Duckworth. So it was them encouraging me to do that because they liked the story. Um, and I must stress that it's not, um, it's not, it's not really noir noir. It's not, yeah. it's not heavy to that point. It's just not light. I mean, there are still, there's still elements of humour in it because there are elements of humour in anything in life, no matter what's gone on. Yeah. Um, but I've, I'm, I'm, I. This is much more. My wife thinks this is this is. I'm more Lombard than I am Richard, which is which is a relief because Richard's a bumbling fool. Um, <laughs> um, but it's just it's just it's it's just a more serious look at the nature of like I say, identity and expat yeah. communities and, and it's something that I'm very interested in, obviously, because, I mean, I'm not in an expat community. We, 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 we avoid anybody else who's English around here. <laughs> um, um, but it's just, it's just that kind of why people go somewhere different and, and how do they adapt and, and all of that is, is all stuff that's explored. Did you have any problems with the fact that it had been out there it been released for even a, for a short while, you know, because we've definitely heard people say, "Well, if it's been released already, we, you know, we don't have anything to do with it because it's already had its chance." Blah blah. But was there any talk of that? Or were they quite happy to put it out? No, no. I think because it it sold so badly because I was not willing to put any marketing <laughs> in it. I'm not. <laughs> the good news not... is it sold so badly we can yeah, we can work with exactly. it. <laughs> I put no effort into pushing it at all. That I don't think enough people have read it to to create a stink. <laughs> so <laughs> I think we're all right on that score. And is the intention for that to become a series as well? Then? Yeah, I'm I'm writing the second one. Um, I'm halfway through writing the second one now, called Dead Behind the Eyes. Um, so yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, my mood wavers. Sometimes I really enjoy the the kind of breezy aspect of writing a cosy because it it, it does flow a lot easier. Mm-hmm. But I really enjoy the challenge of writing something that is more serious and that is slightly away. Uh, although I've said Lombard's like me, the, the situations that he gets into, the nature of grief, 
all of that stuff I'm kind of I'm exploring for myself whereas mm -hmm. you know with Richard and Valerie that that's it's, once you've got the plot it's jokes yeah um so they're very different to write I'm enjoying writing the second one now mm -hmm. And what's your what's your writing process like itself? Do you have like a set routine that you try to stick to? And is it similar in the way that you to write your stand up, or is it night and day different? No, it's it's very different to stand up because the, what I always found with stand up is that um, I had a very sort of fertile time for writing stand up is just after you've done a gig, because your head's okay. in that kind of space. Um, whereas with the the fiction, I'm I'm an early riser and I'll write until about lunchtime and then I'll you know I'll do some editing, do some plotting, do some other stuff. But it's it's a very different process, which is which is a relief because there's a kind of um, there's a kind of pressure with writing stand up. It's like you like you were saying earlier, how do you know if it's funny or not? And you can spend mm -hmm. hours on something and it just turn out to be rubbish. Mm -hmm. um, and you just think, well, I've kind of wasted my time. Whereas with this, I know I can see the end. You know, I can see where I'm going, and there is a kind of linear process to it. Mm -hmm. um, Does that but, mean that you you plot out your stories beforehand? You outline them. And I do to a large extent, but it changes. It changes inevitably. It changes yeah. with um, different reactions. The reaction that you'd initially planned for a character now seems out of character. Um. I'm actually halfway through writing the second one now and I've stopped uh, and I've, you know, it's now a Word document that's been sent to my Kindle and I'm going to read that for the next few days and see if it what I planned to happen afterwards actually makes any sense whatsoever or do I now go in a slightly different direction to it. Mm -hmm. And how do you find, because I think I've always looked at, you know, writing novels being quite a sultry thing but then i'd imagine compared to stand-up it's it's actually more collaborative because you do have edits and you've got editorial assistance and how, how are you finding that side of it i it's, it's 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 i don't mind that because it's quite remote um and you don't i'm not away all the time which i was with stand-up the stand-up is it is a really you, you know, you're writing on your own, you're traveling to the gigs on your own, you're going on stage on your own, and then after the gig, you're going back to your hotel room on your own. It is, yeah. it's, it's quite, um, it can be quite a brutal process, stand up, especially if you've had a bad gig, because that's yeah. just going to stay with you. Um, whereas I've really enjoyed, I've really enjoyed being part of the writing community. In a sense that when I first did stand up, like I, I said, I, I, I didn't see myself as a natural performer. There were, for years, there was a kind of imposter syndrome with me that I felt that at some point someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and just go, all right, come on, son, you've had a good run, but you know, you're not supposed to be here. It's time you left. <laughs> um, whereas with the writing, I, you know, I was. I went to Harrogate this year and was a late replacement for a for a panel show, and it was just a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. it isn't, and, and that's not to say that that stand up isn't a supportive industry. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it can be, and and I've got lots of really really good friends in stand up. But there was just I just for the I didn't feel like I had the imposter thing with the mm -hmm. writing. Yeah, um, maybe because I've wanted it so long. Um, maybe that plays a part. I don't know. 
you, you're probably the the first guest that doesn't have that imposter syndrome. As oh, I mean, you, you know how you know how these things work. Now I might I might get, wake up tomorrow morning going, "What the hell am I doing? Why I can't do this?" <laughs> <laughs> and and do you how? Because we talked earlier about feedback, and obviously as a stand up, you're getting feedback immediately. I mean, do you show your drafts or whatever to do you have some beta re, beta readers or do you just show it to your wife or, or how i just, that just show it to my wife yeah, yeah. I, I show it to my wife um <laughs> which has caused which has caused problems in the past <laughs> because um, <laughs> with the with the cozies obviously richard is a middle-aged englishman who who runs a bnb but his wife's just left him when this incredibly exotic french woman lands on his doorstep and i showed this to my wife and i was really proud of this this kind of first draft she just looked at me and she said this is just your fantasy isn't it outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> but um unfortunately she really likes lombard as a character as well she thinks that's more of there's more of me in that in the because obviously being a stand-up is very much not knockabout all the time. I don't walk around with a spinning bow tie. There, there, there are serious sides to, to everybody, and I'm, I think that's more me then. Mm-hmm. And is the, now that you're firmly embedded in terms of novel writing, is this where you want to be? You don't want to go back, or are you still oh, yeah. one foot in the stand-up camp, or would you rather no. be novel writing all the time? No, novel writing all the time, really. And the thing is, because I just, I just remembered something, that I, I first came to this area uh, as an 18-year-old in 1990 mm-hmm. with Natalie, my wife. She was my girlfriend then. And I just, just fell in love with the area. And I just said, I remember sitting in the garden of a jeep near here and just saying, I just want to retire here and write light, undemanding comic novels. And I, and that, so it's 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 really all I've ever wanted. I don't I don't need any more than that. Yeah, I've got I've. There's something about writing. Um, the thing about the difference with stand up and publishing books is that the stand up is so ephemeral. It's it's just gone. It's, it's straight mm-hmm. yeah. once once you've said it, it's gone. Um, and I and and so. You, you, I feel like I've created something now that is that is physically there. I feel like I'm, you know, kind of when my dad said, get a trade, I've kind of got, <laughs> I've got a trade, you know. I mean, and, and the thing about books as well is when I was on the road a lot and feeling quite, really quite miserable at times being, being away, I would go into Waterstones um, and see my two memoir books in Waterstones. Mm-hmm. I just kind of pathetically stroke them as if it's heartwarming that I that I can do this as well. You know, I don't have to be going out on stage in front of drunks every night. And obviously, you you know, to go full full circle, you you kind of started off wanting to break into the the screen world, um, and now you've kind of gone to the book side of things. Would you ever want to maybe adapt some stuff for TV for different mediums? Um, I, I, no, I don't think, I don't think that's my strength. Um, I mean, the, the, the cozies have been sold. They are being adapted by the same people who make, um, oh, MC, Agatha Raisin. Um, All right. Yeah. yeah. So, so there is that in the pipeline, but I wouldn't necessarily want to be involved in the script side of things of that. I, I, I much 
prefer the flow of prose rather than than the script. I find I think I'd find it too stop and starty, and it's, it's not how I like to write. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, what what is next after uh, the man who didn't burn? You said you're working on the second one. Have you got ideas for the third one as well, or? Uh, not at the moment. After I've finished, oh, and I have got, you know, there are some things I've taken some notes. Um, but after I finish the second Lombard, I'm on to the fifth um, Follet Valley. I've written the fourth already, so that's that's Death of the Jardin is coming out next June. But I have to write the fifth one in that series to, which is June twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> Long lead times. Yeah. I've got a kind of calendar that the publisher sent me um, that takes me up until I think it's 20, August 2026. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a lovely position to be in, but also slightly daunting. Yes. But do you enjoy, now that, now that you've sort of established yourself in in these, do you enjoy sort of having the, the, turn, the sort of turnabout between the cosy stuff and the slightly more serious stuff as well? Well, I, I, don't, I haven't done it the other way around yet. I, I, fa- I really struggled initially um, when I started the second Lombard, having come straight out of writing the cosy. I just wasn't in the right frame of mind, and I should have taken um, a longer break than I did. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was difficult to, to get started properly. Going the other way, I don't know. It may it may be a relief. I, I really don't know at the mm. moment. I mean, it's it's largely um, mapped out in my head, so it shouldn't be too difficult. Um, but you know, <laughs> I honestly don't know. I just uh, I don't know how that will work. I don't. I mean, I don't even know when yet. I think it's going to be around December time, and I have to I'll have to dive into that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see yeah. if it's too difficult. Then I've, I'm, I'm trying to. At the moment, I'm trying to always beat my deadlines if I if I can, so I can then take some time off to yeah. you know just to completely cleanse myself really and start again. Cool. It, it it does sound that you've kind of found this really happy niche area that you're you know of a kind of career writing specific type of books etc that you're you know really really pleased with and and uh, it's just which is quite nice to hear it's it's you know like i said it comes back to what i always wanted to be i wanted to mm-hmm. retire to france at the age of 18 and write like undemanded comic novels I mean, my own laziness has delayed it by 30 odd years but um, you made it in the end I made it in the end, you know, and so I am I'm exactly where I really I wanted to be. And it's I enjoy the work. And as long as um, I'm enjoying it, and as long as people are buying the books, then this this is as you know, I don't need any more than that. Yeah. What was the last book that you read? The last book that I read, I finished um, at the weekend, and it's it's not out until next March. It's called The Kellerby Code by Johnny Sweet, okay. um, and it was really good. It was a, you know I'm not I get sent a lot of stuff to read, and it's a varying degrees of yeah. quality. Can I say that? Um, <laughs> but this is really good. It's, it's a real kind of um, dissection of of privilege in the UK and how it affects people and. It's very, very good. Very good thriller. 
Yeah. Cool. Um, what about the last film that you watched? I'm trying to remember the last film I watched. Um, as a family, we're watching Only Murders in the Building. That's oh, yeah. A, yeah, 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 which yeah, yeah. absolutely love that. Yeah. Um, but the last film we watched, we were going to go and see the new Branagh Poirot, but we, we didn't get around to it in the end. I can't remember what happened. Um, so the, probably the last film I watched, which is a film I watched probably about four times a week, um, is uh, Charade with Carrie Grant and Audrey Butler. <laughs> Absolutely it, love that film. Is that the new series of Only Murders that you're watching? At yeah. The yeah. Yeah. We're, is, we're, is it as good as the other ones? Because I've not started that one yet. It's, um, it's not as funny as the first one. Um, but the, just the acting and the timing are just superb, you know. Yeah. I mean, and Meryl Streep's in it, and it's just it, oh, it's, it's a great it's, cast they've got for this final season. Oh, it's amazing! It's just amazing, and it's it's real comfort viewing, you know. Yeah, it's the best thing Steve Martin has done in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah definitely, absolutely true. Um, well, the, the the very very last thing we always do is a, a super quick fire either or, um, and there's I would say there's no right answer here apart from perhaps one of them, but we'll start off with cosy crime or serious crime writing. I, I'm going to say serious for now. Cool. Uh, TV or cinema? Oh, TV. Uh, you know, there's fewer people. <laughs> yeah, I forgot there's you don't want to leave the house. Here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Night Owl or Early Bird? Early Bird now. It was always a night owl for for most of my life, but I'm definitely an early bird. It's an age thing, I think. Uh, music or no music when you're writing? Oh, uh, music. I like I like music just softly in the background. Yeah. Mm. And uh, last one: real book or ebook? Real book. I mean, I love, I love Kindles are a fantastic thing, and, and when I was travelling all the time, it was great to just take a Kindle away with you. But um, there's nothing you can't beat a real book. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that's incorrect. I remember I was on a plane once. I can't remember where I was coming back from. Some gig somewhere, and uh, and this is probably quite early in in Kindle history. And just this guy um, said, "So what have you got on your Kindle?" Like it's it's none of your business. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's yeah. none yeah, of your business. And uh, I, but I, I think I said, well, you know, and he was just like, oh, that's rubbish. What are you doing? It's just, it's just, <laughs> you never go up a, someone reading a book and say that's crap, by the way. No, exactly. Yeah. And and the idea that you would be confrontational on a plane over a Kindle was just an absurd <laughs> situation. <laughs> Well, thanks very much to Ian for coming on. I really appreciate him taking the time to come on to the podcast. And, I, you know, I I thought it was a good chat about cosy crime, which is mm. one of the the darlings of the publishing industry, I suppose, at the moment. Um, Richard Osman, obviously, is, the, is out there leading the pack. But as you mentioned, there is this sort of trend that, you know, all these books ha- have similar covers, even Ian's books, not The Man Who Didn't Burn, because that's a darker book, but his, yep. his other books, Death and Classons and so on have similar covers to the likes of Richard Osman. Um, and it's funny how trends like that can catch on in yeah. terms of the publishers, even though the books can be quite different. As you mentioned, Janice Hallett's books look like that, but they're they're very different. They're not obviously. really codes of crime, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I mean, again, it was, I guess it shows again the kind of marketing drive to have everything 
in a neat box, isn't it? And just have yeah. a neat package you can just show to someone this is what it is, label it something, put the same kind of cover, the same kind of... I mean, even the font, it's, it's amazing how similar yeah, yeah. these ones look. It's, uh, and but is it, think, uh, so, as Ian says, I suppose, it's like they just want people to walk into a bookshop, see the cover and, buy, yeah, and pick it, yeah. go and buy and it, because they assume it's going to be the same type Yeah, of and I guess if you love Cozy Crime, then it's an easy flag to say, this is Cozy Crime. And, and if you yeah. like this, you'll like that. And, you know, obviously it works, because these things sell... I mean, his books are selling, yeah. like, hotcakes... But like also interesting that he's yes, interesting that he's getting the opportunity now to do the darker stuff as well, yeah, and yeah. being able to do you know both is is something that I think a lot of crime authors would be quite jealous of because often you know as we've spoken to other guests about you can get sort of pigeonholed in one oh, area absolutely. and it's yeah. hard to move out of that. Yeah, yeah. No, no. He's 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 done a really good. I mean, as he says, he is living in France, writing, making a living off writing, writing two different, very different types of crime novels that he's enjoying. It's fine, it's fantastic. Yeah, Very absolutely. jealous of the guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's cracked it, he's cracked life. He's cracked it, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thanks very much to Ian for, for coming on. And, uh, yeah, The Man Who Didn't Burn, we'll put links for that uh, in the podcast description so you can pick that one up. But next week we've got another great guest who has had a, very interesting array of of encounters with with uh, people such as George Clooney, who was her neighbour. Yeah, at yeah, one yeah. Point. I know. I mean, yeah. So we're we're chatting with the wonderful Susan Lewis next week. Who, um, she's started off in TV, uh, working as a as a as a secretary, and then worked her way up to become a production assistant. Uh, so really, a really proper. I don't I don't know if rags to riches is the correct term, but that kind of. Going yeah, on the no, ground per, level and working yeah, way up putting, the, putting the, the ladder, hard, putting the graft in, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And, and and as you say, she's she's lived in LA. I mean, she lived next to George Clooney. She's got she she met Nicolas Cage, Steve Martin. I mean, yeah, another person I'm very jealous of. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so uh, we we chat to her uh, about her her career because she's also written a lot of books as well. Yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah, we, she's also written books. Yeah, sorry, that's why, that that's why she's panel, on the podcast. Yeah, it wasn't just, just for Clooney celebrity stories. anecdotes. <laughs> yeah. Although we tried to get those as well. Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, please do tune in for that episode. If, you, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do take the time to rate and review us on your favourite podcast app. That always helps. And of course, if you want to get in touch, you can always drop us an email which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk or drop us uh, a message on social media. We are on pretty much everything out there. Search for us at UK page one, unless, of course, you're looking on Mastodon, in which case we are writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod. I don't think anyone is looking for us on Mastodon. <laughs> what <laughs> is Mastodon? <laughs> Let's be honest. But uh, yeah, um, have a great week and we'll speak to you next episode. See you later.